This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Dexsecure. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Adam Elmore about mastering AWS freelancing. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 120. everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly. And I'm Rebecca Marshburn. And this is Serverless Chats. Hey, Rebecca, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. And you know what? I feel like whenever we, we have some, you know, shop talk, you always ask me first. So time That's to true. turn the table on you. How are okay. you doing, Jeremy? I tell you, fall is in the air, which I hate um, because I can <laughs> never... I, so I always make a joke. I said, if I ever wrote a memoir, it would be called My Life in Between because I always am like in between shirt sizes and pant sizes and it's just horrible. And then I feel like fall is that in between weather where if you leave the house in the morning and it's 33 degrees outside, you've got like a jacket on and you're then by the time you get to the afternoon, the sun's shining, it's in the 50s and then you're sweat. It's just horrible. It's a horrible time of year. I mean, it's beautiful. But for me, it's just very uncomfortable, um, you know, to try to keep my to regulate my body temperature anyways. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to use that as a hopping off point. You're, you are a rare combination, Jeremy, of both being able to see like positive and negative. Like fall is beautiful. I also can't regulate my body temperature. <laughs> and so thinking about rare combinations, I would like sometimes when we're about to introduce a guest, we use our own words. But when I find words that are so well put, I might as well let those words speak for the guest. And so um, I'm just gonna go ahead and, and introduce the person that we have today go using the words that someone else has used. <clears throat> Simply put, Adam gets it. He is a rare combination of brilliant and supremely practical. And that was from a former executive VP at Walt Disney Imagineering, Eric Hazeltine. Um, and so, that's a pretty that's a pretty big statement. Really glad to introduce our guest today, who's an independent cloud consultant, the holder of 12 AWS certifications, pretty wild, and the host of the AWS FM podcast, Adam Elmore. Hey, Adam, thank you for joining us. Hi, Rebecca, Jeremy, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm curious, um, do you have a hard time regulating body temperature during the fall, or are you... <laughs> you know, in Missouri, so where I'm from, I'm like in the Ozarks, in the middle of the country, we get the extremes. So it's like, it's not so much that there's a middle ground, it's that every other day is either really hot or really cold. So they, they say in Missouri, if you don't like the temperature, come back tomorrow. It's <laughs> it's just kind of always different. <laughs> well, in New England, they say, if you don't like the, the weather, wait five minutes, because that's the problem oh, yeah. that I have. <laughs> the key is just, I, do, I don't go outside. Like, that's oh, the key right. for me. If I just stay inside, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right, there you go. So there's so much that uh, that Rebecca and I want to talk to you about today, uh, and we're super excited to have you here. You, you're hosting this new show called AWS uh, FM, and you've had a number of amazing guests on there. Um, you've been doing a lot of freelancing. Want to get into this whole idea of you know how do you get 12 AWS certificates uh, or certifications uh, in six weeks, um, which seems like a crazy undertaking that I'd love to get Bonkers. into. But before we before we get into any of those topics, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about you. I mean, that obviously that quote from um, from Eric uh, Hazeltine. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I know that you've done a lot of great work, um, you know, not just recently, but a lot of stuff that you've done in the past uh, as well. So maybe we just start by going back and just tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started in cloud and in tech and, um, you know, and, and what sort of drew you towards cloud uh, and, and working with AWS. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess 
my career started back in 2009. Uh, I was doing sort of web freelancing just as a web developer. Uh, and I did that for like four or five years, I guess. And then in 2014, I started a company called StatMuse. Uh, and it, it's sort of a sports digital media and technology company. Uh, so we, we raised some money and we raised money from Disney. So that's the Eric Hazeltine connection. Uh, and Google invested. Uh, we built some pretty cool technology. We were doing like natural language processing. So and like people asking sports questions, we were turning those, you know, like sports questions into rich media. So answering with charts and, and tables and things like that. Uh, so we were answering a lot of questions on Alexa uh, and Google Assistant and some other things, but we built all that technology on AWS, and that was sort of my my foray into the cloud. Um, so I was CTO there for five years. The company's still going, uh, even branched into to sort of finance stuff outside of just sports. Uh, but that's kind of like I had those five years to really explore as the head of the company, all kinds of different things we could do in the cloud with technology. The, the application itself, the primary thing that we built at StatMuse wasn't even serverless. It was sort of like an Elixir web app running in uh, just normal like application stuff, servers, I guess. <laughs> uh, you can't say servers we, on the show. We don't, we don't sorry. allow <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, it, we did build some things though, and over the five years, kind of, you know, it, we, this was back in 2014, so I don't even know if if serverless was really if it had really kind of taken hold yet. Um, but over the years, kind of built out some cool digital media experiences. Built something for the the Pro Football Hall of Fame, where we did like a talking John Madden bust in AR. So you like hold up an iPad, and you can talk to John Madden, and, and so that had all kinds of elements, you know, with the there's 3D animation stuff involved, but then the conversational intelligence stuff all of that was serverless so i do have some experience <laughs> building serverless stuff in production uh and we built some other kind of random experiences but that was sort of my startup career i guess like we built the a, a san francisco based startup that was kind of that chapter of of my career and really where i got to kind of explore the cloud and and kind of learn on my own you know with venture capital money i guess <laughs> <laughs> so it's learning good to have the venture capital money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so D Eric Hazeltine, that quote, uh, you know, we joined the Disney Accelerator and we're there in LA for a few months. Uh, we got to meet all kinds of incredible people at Disney. Bob Iger, uh, got to spend time with Bob Iger, which right. was just incredible. Uh, but Eric Hazeltine was sort of a technical mentor of mine. And his background is nuts, which I know this show isn't about Eric Hazeltine, although we've talked about him a lot already. But, uh, <laughs> he he was sort of a, a, a hugely influential sort of mentor for me uh, going through that program and then and then beyond uh, just somebody that I still stay in touch with. Uh, yeah. So I guess in terms of my career, um, did the startup thing and then left in 2019 uh, and joined a company, actually an employee of mine at StatMuse had left StatMuse and and he was a VP of engineering at a company that builds like insurance software, but they build it all on AWS. Uh, and so I joined that company where I got to kind of further learn how AWS was used in slightly bigger organizations. Uh, StatMuse was like 20 people, whereas uh, this company I joined, it was a couple hundred engineers. Mm. So I uh, got to learn a little bit more there. And then back in April of this year, I, I decided to go sort of freelance uh, and and have been doing that since. Right. So 
Eric, if you're listening, uh, sorry, I believe I mispronounced your name, uh, team, so uh, I know right. the show is not about Eric, but, uh, you know, we might as well keep going with that pattern. Yeah. So, Adam, um, you, you have this really cool thread pinned on your Twitter about practical advice that you've learned through your whole career up to now, right? And some of the advice yeah. you say, like, you're like, I wish I knew this when I first started, you're like leverage infrastructure as code, segregate workloads into multiple accounts, set up CI/CD. Those are a few of those pieces. If you had to choose one of those pieces of advice that, or if like you could only tell your own self one of those pieces yeah. of advice, which one of those pieces would it be from that thread? Yeah, so I've got to jog my memory here. Uh, I, I mean, the infrastructure as code one seems uh, seems like an easy choice. I mean, I know like when I started with AWS, it was all sort of on my own kind of building things out and we're experimenting. It was a very kind of like we had that flexibility to do that. Um, but I, I wasn't learning how to build things out the right way. And I think we did a whole lot of poking around the console and just getting stuff to work uh, and had a lot of pain through that. And then some of the startups I've advised and, and done sort of freelance work for, uh, I've seen that pain as well, where you just sort of gain a lot when you have that infrastructure as code as like from day one, you know, you're, you're starting a company, uh, you're building all this technology. It, it gains a lot in terms of the developer velocity, in terms of um, just pain down the road that you can avoid. Uh, so that one stands out, I guess, is like an easy choice. Uh, I'm try- I, I, honestly, I don't remember <laughs> some of the other pieces of advice. Uh, the multi-account <laughs> thing obviously is a good idea. Uh, yeah, that's, well, I think, that's all I, I can remember. I think the um, the spirit behind it, though, is essentially it's like, you know, there are there are best practices um, that I think a lot of us have fallen. I've been building on AWS since 2009 as well. So I went down the whole EC2 dragon road as well. So it's not like, yeah. you know, where I'm also familiar with, you know, the non-serverless aspects of, of AWS. Um, but I think, you know, you, you did mention in this thread, you're like, if, you know, if you're thinking building on Heroku or something like that is the is the right choice for you, um, you know, then this is not the thread for you because obviously you clearly dive into more of, of building on AWS. And I'm actually kind of curious from an advising standpoint, if you're advising a startup, especially somebody who doesn't have AWS experience or doesn't have that deep cloud experience, things like that, um, is that still the road you're going to push people towards? I mean, clearly, if you, they're hiring you, you're an AWS, um, you know, consultant, yeah. so that would make sense. But I mean, is that is that something that you know, just a general advice for startups that you think, given what you've seen, that it's just a better path to start going down the cloud route than maybe choosing one of these other sort of pass providers? Yeah, so it's interesting you say that because I just kind of the last 24 hours been thinking about how I really kind of like encourage serverless for startups and and that it feels like as a solo, like I build a lot of stuff myself as sort of a solopreneur, it makes a ton of sense when you're really experienced with serverless to build everything out, you, you know, using serverless technologies and with that serverless mindset. Uh, but with startups, I, I just Corey Quinn's newsletter yesterday sort of hit me in the face. <laughs> uh and it made me sort of question, like, I don't know, is it best for everybody? If if you have a team, like if you're a startup, you've got 10 engineers already and none of them have cloud experience, maybe it doesn't make sense to start with serverless. Like a lot of the, you know, I've the show we'll talk about, I'm sure I've started AWS FM. I've had a bunch of guests that are mostly server, serverless oriented guests. And the success stories are like Lego. So Sheen bristles at yeah. Lego. And and some of the bigger companies that I guess have adopted serverless and they've proven, you know, iRobot, uh, like they've proven that 
there's there's something there and it's obviously the future but is it for every startup i don't know i'm i'm in the middle of this midlife crisis here i guess in technology where uh, Corey quinn came out with all that yesterday about you know the the unfulfilled promises of serverless and it did kind of make me question like if it's a sort of right tool for every job when it comes to startups i'm not i'm not sure Right, right. Well, and, I, and and we love Corey Quinn on this show, and I think a lot of the things though that he that he puts out there sometimes they're meant to. I think they're meant to just get people like you to question your life choices. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the mission that's accomplished. The purpose, the purpose yeah. of it. Um, but the other thing that's funny, and actually, just we were just talking with uh, with Brian Scanlon um, from Intercom, and and he was talking about how you know they have a Ruby on Rails monolith that. I mean, they've got 25,000 plus customers, right? But they're yeah. still, they still use Lambda and SQSQs and a lot of these other things. So I think there's yeah. a difference between wholeheartedly embracing only serverless, but then realizing the benefits of using all these other services, um, you know, in combination with, you know, maybe other technologies like containers or, or uh, you know, easy to or whatever, whatever you're going down. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, I had Ben Kehoe on the show and he talks about the mindset. And right. it really is more of the mindset than the, it's like a spectrum. And I, I didn't think of it that way before that you can do things kind of, it's, it's not one size fits all for any given project. You can kind of mix these worlds as it makes sense and make trade-offs. Uh, yeah. You don't have to be ultra purist at all times, I guess. Right. Right. Now you mentioned also, you know, somebody who knows serverless, um, being able to build everything out in serverless. And again, there are a lot of, you know, there's some caveats in there, right? Like, you know, you might not be able to do a certain thing or you got to use yeah. you know, this to do web ser- uh, to do web sockets and random, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you've got limitations, six megabyte limits in Lambda and whatever. Um, yep. Things that you might not know about or maybe aren't used to when you're doing that. Um, so clearly training is important and understanding these things. Um, now, not everybody has 12 AWS certifications um, like you do. Um, and so I'm kind of curious on that like one like what was the like what was the like what made you say I'm going to get all 12 of these yeah no it's interesting I I so it's kind of a theme with me that when I do something I really kind of like I do it <laughs> like I don't I don't <laughs> do anything like home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And my, it's my wife and I had a big conversation about this yesterday. Uh, so it's fresh on my mind. Uh, I sort of go really hard. And I guess when I, I sort of dip my toes in the certs, you know, it was six weeks, but it wasn't six continuous weeks. There was like a week in July. I took the associate level exams in like a July. And then the following February, I did the rest of them. So gotcha. when I first dipped my toes in them, it I, I was kind of like, you know, to me, the point was just to validate and maybe fill in some gaps because I'd been working on AWS for six, seven years. And, and I thought like that's sort of a guided path. I'd never done any sort of formal training and I really wasn't that plugged into the space. I'd kind of been off on my own sort of building things uh, in a vacuum. So I kind of felt like it'd be a good way to to make sure I really understand some of this stuff. And then I don't remember why I sort of became disenchanted after the first three, uh, but my employer was paying for them all. So when I right. came back to it early the next year, it, it just kind of like, I decided I'm going to just see like, how quickly can I get them? <laughs> uh, because I went through the first three just in like a few days and I thought uh, maybe I can just knock them all out. It ended up being a lot harder than I thought it would be. Uh, and I spent a lot more time probably preparing for the exams than I expected. I think a lot of my practical knowledge was sort of building serverless stuff and right. the AWS certs don't really 
cover much of that. <laughs> well, which is actually it's, one of the complaints, I think. That, yeah, like, why there should be a serverless. A serverless um, yeah. Why is there not a serverless certification? Yeah. Yeah, one I of my mean, favorite services. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, having uh, worked on the serverless team, uh, I, I assure you that is a, an internal conversation as well and something that nice. I think we'll see at some yeah. point, hopefully not too far from now. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, I took all 12 of these exams and I don't think I answered a single question about AppSync, which is one of my favorite <laughs> services in terms of like things I use practically pretty often. Uh, so it felt kind of weird to get to the end of it and be oh, where was all the serverless stuff? I don't know. You're, you're, it's because you're living in the future. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you said it was you know harder than you thought it would be. And some of that is because your, your practical working knowledge, right, may not have applied one-to-one -to, -one to the types of uh, cert that yeah. you were taking. Can you dive into a little bit more some of the challenges in terms of like, you know, maybe it's preparation challenges. Maybe it's like, uh, like it sometimes it's just we forget how to study type of challenges or yeah. like what to study. Like, so if someone else is thinking maybe they're not going to, you know, they're not going to battle all 12 at once. But even if they're thinking of one, right, like what are some challenges they might want to keep top of mind in terms of someone who's gone through it so many times? Yeah. So my experience was probably a lot different than most people's will be. I would say there are so many good resources out there today that I feel like the test prep part of it, you're just spoiled for choice. Like there's free options, you know, the free code camp stuff. If you can pay the money, there's excellent paid resources. So I feel like choosing resources, you, you probably can't go wrong with a whole bunch of different options. In terms of like preparation for me, I'm, I'm sort of an auditory learner. So, and I like to listen to stuff really fast. So I can kind of like burn through a lot of training materials, content or whatever pretty quickly. And that was kind of the whole shtick, I guess, was getting them done really quickly. Uh, and I enjoy taking tests. So I, I I don't know that my experience is all that helpful <laughs> to most people. Now, so I, yeah. now, now I want to, speaking of taking tests, I'm thinking about giving you a Turing test because I- Oh, geez. Not, you might, well, I, I'm just curious. You, you, like, people oh, yeah, have yeah. joked in the past that I was a robot because I would try to do so much, but I, I think you might be a robot, actually. Yeah, no, um, I, Who I, enjoys it's like taking this weird, tests? Yeah, it's this weird, like, I enjoy multiple choice tests, I will say. Like, right. I enjoy trying to get in the test writer's head and kind of figure out what they were trying to make you think or the direction. I don't know, sort of reverse oh, psychology. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like I can kind of like get a C on any test if I know nothing about the subject matter. So uh, that was sort of part of it. I enjoyed the like getting up early and, and each taking each test each time. I can also imagine you as a kid experience. actually liking the um, tactile experience of filling in the little bubbles. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Just imagine you like, being like, perfectly. oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, your number two like, pencil sharpened, ready yeah, to go. Yeah, exactly. One of the challenges, you asked me challenges. I think one of the challenges for me, like I, I wake up really early, so I was doing them in my home. That's a, a great part about this, I guess, today. You can take all these tests at home. I used to, I guess, with IT certifications, you had to go in and right. – like sit in a proctor's room or whatever. So I was able to take them home, but, uh, or take them in my home office, but having two young kids made it a little challenging. Like they, nobody can come in the room. It's like a whole thing. If they like, I don't know, they can disqualify you if they hear people Your talking four -year -old to you. four-year-old is and... giving you some answers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they so watch they're always you, right? busting in the door. They, they, you have yeah. to your webcam on and they're like, oh yeah, they're watching right. you. They're like, if you put your hand on your face, they say stuff. It's kind of a whole experience that I really? recommend going through. I don't oh, know nice. if certificate or AWS certs are worth it, honestly, but I think it's a good experience to go through and, and there's some guided learning there. Well, I'm actually curious about that. And you're saying you're not sure they're worth it. Because I mean, if, if 
I mean, I've uh, I haven't taken any of the cert- certification exams yet, and I keep meaning to. I'm like, I, I really should. Like, I should. You know, I, I work in AWS all the time. <laughs> I probably should have a certification or two. But it's one of the things where it's like. I'm always reading docs when new services come out. I'm pretty on top yep. of like kind of evaluating them. Um, you know, I a lot of the the stuff that comes out with, you know, whether it's like, uh, you know, rolling time windows or something like that or, you know, uh, bisecting batches, whatever it is that might happen, like, yeah. in, you know, these little tiny features that most people probably don't pay attention to, like those things like perk, th- th- those are the things that get me excited, not taking tests, yeah. but learning about these new things and reading up like actually how they work and then going and experiment with them. So I feel like I stay up to date with all this stuff but at the same time like vpcs and you know and the uh, the whole thing with uh routing for you know like even vpc peering and um and yeah. the security groups and things like that like when i have to set those up i can i stumble a little bit and i gotta go and look stuff up whatever yep. but i also feel like having a good rounded knowledge of some of the stuff is good I, I i don't want to dismiss that but also wonder the value of how much you apply you know how much those certification and what you learn in those certifications how much those apply to your real work especially when they can be very very broad and you've got 200 plus services that some of them seem to cover yeah i, I mean i won't say that i didn't learn anything that was worth something i'm sure there were things i picked up through the certification prep there's just a whole lot of content i consumed to to kind of get through those right i'm sure there were things i picked up that have applied to my day-to-day work like with clients Um, but for the most part it kind of felt like like i don't i'm never going to touch direct connect like i just i don't plan to Uh, (laughs) i know a whole lot about direct connect now and and it kind of feels like why did i do that if (laughs) if all that knowledge like the amount of prep i did for the advanced networking course was it was just a lot and compared to the other exams and really i don't use any of that knowledge so it's hard for me to say like go out take all the exams because it's going to really help you with your day job. And I, I just don't know how much it helps either with like getting opportunities. I've never really used them to try and go get a job. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of hard for me. I, I sort of did it as a parlor trick. And <laughs> I guess like there have been people that I know have gone down the path and they said I inspired them to take the certs and I'm happy for them for that. And there are a few ways that I think they come into play, like as a freelancer, at least in a few countries with AWS IQ. Uh, but outside oh, right, of that, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of that, I don't know. Like it's, it's maybe somebody could tell me after they get them all, if it helped them land some job, <laughs> tell uh, me how to use the certs that I yeah. already have. <laughs> exactly. The good news too, is that it allowed you to do something that you love, which is taking tests. Um, yeah. but another thing that you love is the AWS CDK. And in one of your uh, blog posts, right. You talk about how it dramatically improved your ability to stand up infrastructure quickly. But it, you also saw that I was deploying the same handful of resources, which felt real tedious. Um, and then you go ahead and talk about, you know, so while Amplify can solve this and a lot more, as you say, you wanted to build an open source project, which is Nest, uh, with a much narrower focus. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us about Nest and its origins and why you built it and why why did you want to take such a narrow focus on it? Yeah, so I, I guess at that time when, I'm, when I built Nest, there wasn't, so Amplify didn't support uh, doing like Next.js server-side stuff. Uh, you didn't have like now SST, the serverless stack framework yeah. supports that. Um, I think when I first built Ness, it was sort of meeting this need where like you're deploying a Next.js site specifically. Um, you either deploy it with Vercel or or what? And like I'd like doing everything in my own AWS accounts. It just kind of felt... 
I, and I do love Vercel. Like I now, I feel like I use it more than I use my own CLI tool that I built for this purpose. Uh, <laughs> but at the time, that was sort of the justification was like I want to be able to deploy either a static site or maybe it's a site that you know I want to deploy a Next.js with server side rendering to Lambda at Edge. And I want to do that just from the CLI. I don't want to have to like set up a third party account and, you know, do the dance there to set up uh, a Vercel account or whatever. That was kind of the idea. Uh, and it was narrow in the sense that like it's a CLI tool that's just meant for deploying your your websites. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's interesting, though, because it's funny because you said like now Vercel, you might use that more than you use your own thing. I mean, that's probably yeah. a good lesson into building your own solutions for stuff, yeah, right? Like, exactly. um, I wonder if I could find a, so a tool that gets me, you know, close to where I need to, to, to get to. Um, but I, I think it's, um, I, I think it's just interesting in terms of like, you know, you have these tools, you, you love the, the CDK. I'm ambivalent towards it, I think, because again, it's one of those things for me where I think I take Ben Kehoe's side on this, where it's like, yeah. You know, anything that's non-deterministic always makes me a little bit nervous, right? But um, uh, there's other reasons. But like, uh, but the you've got the SDK, uh, the, the CDK. I'm sorry. Um, did I say SDK? I meant I meant you CDK. Did. Sorry, yeah. AWS CDK, not the SDK. Um, the SDK is very important. I mean CDK as well. But so you've got the CDK. You've got SAM. Um, Sam just added a whole bunch of new features like uh, Sam Accelerate, right? And then now you have Sam yep. Pipelines, you also have CDK Pipelines. Uh, and then you have Terraform, and Terraform has all kinds of crazy things. Clearly, the serverless framework was you know, very early with the, the infrastructure as code. Um, you've got Architect, you've got Pulumi, you've got, you know, uh, I don't know, the, the hundred others, right? So you've got all yeah. these different tools and services that allow you to do things. Now, everything does it a little bit different. Some of them are more flexible than others. Some of them are limited. Um, but I'm just curious, like from your perspective, you know, CDK, that sits above all those other ones to you? Is that, I mean, do you think that's the ultimate or or do you still think that there are uh, there's room for these other uh, other players? Yeah, so I guess my, like my answer to this today is very different than it would have been like six months ago. I think before I started a podcast and had a bunch of smart people that I got to talk to on a podcast, I was I was probably like 90% of the time I'm reaching for the CDK, otherwise just you know CloudFormation. I think having a lot of other perspectives and being confronted with those uh, on my own podcast helped me kind of see like the downsides of the CDK. And I think for me, like I wasn't ever doing anything in my mind that was non-deterministic. Like I'm not hitting any websites that influence my, like I'm not making web requests to sort of but you could. influence my infrastructure. <laughs> you could. And that's what I never thought about. Like for somebody is an on-ramp into infrastructure as code. If somebody's coming into AWS or infrastructure as code and it's their first experience and they're on the CDK, I never thought about some of the potential, you know, foot guns or whatever, the ways that they could really kind of set themselves up for pain. Uh, so I, I do have that new perspective on it, I guess. Um, and and I think a lot of that has been talking with folks like Ben Kehoe and and Ben Brits and uh, yeah, now I think I'm I'm probably more likely to just write CloudFormation. But I I'll, I'll be honest, like there's so many cool new toys to play with that I'm very interested in. You know what you guys are doing at Serverless Inc. The serv the serverless stack stuff right. really inter interests me. So I think there's there's a lot of things I want to find time to kind of play with and see how does it influence the the developer experience. Um, but yeah, I, I still think the CDK is great. I sort of got into the CDK, uh, pretty early and, and did some contributing and, and felt like this is really cool. I, I liked TypeScript and I was kind of 
able to to use more TypeScript, I guess. Uh, but I do kind of see I see a little bit wider angle on it now uh, after some other perspectives. <laughs> yeah, right. No, and I, I mean it's funny too. I mean maybe we need a um, or there needs to be an AWS certification for dev tools um, in general. Yeah, there's just there's yeah. just so many of them. There's a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I, and I but I think you're right. It, it's one of those things with. Um, uh, differing perspectives or different perspectives that you do get um, when you start talking to other people, and uh, and it's funny too because like it, you know just going back to uh, you know Corey Quinn's article on serverless and and that whole deal. Um, I mean, again, you you can very easily find yourself in a bubble um, where you're only yeah. talking to people that support your own um, you know support your own uh, your own conclusions basically, um, and yep. sometimes even if they don't, you still draw your own conclusions. I do that sometimes unfortunately. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, OpenDexSecure. OpenDexSecure is an open source, cloud agnostic edge development framework that lets developers jump straight into product development without worrying about setup. OpenDexSecure has frameworks and development tools to automate web asset optimization, implement resilient CDNs, and provide you with access to first party analytics. If you need help getting started on multi-cloud serverless at the edge, take a look at OpenDexSecure to simplify the setup and start building the product you're passionate about. Learn more at DexSecure.com open-source. And if you like or support what DexSecure is doing, join the community by visiting their project on GitHub and follow them on their journey. Let's talk a little bit about... Um AWS FM. I don't know. Uh, do you want to you want to kick us off on that, Rebecca? Yeah. Well, I mean, first, Adam, we Jeremy and I were talking about this. We speculate that it's Adam's web show, right? That's what the AWS <laughs> right. stands for. Not yeah. A, not for the Amazon Web Services. Keep That's, me safe yeah, right. from any legal troubles. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what made you want to start uh, AWS FM? I, I'm yeah, guessing so, there's so much about it. It has to do with, you know, talking to these smart folks, but I'm wondering if that is what you knew you were going to get out of it or what happened to come out of it. Yeah. So in retrospect, I guess, like the thing I enjoy the most about it is the smart folks I get to talk to and how much I do feel like I learn after each show that I air, not about podcasting, but just about things I didn't understand, right. the perspective I didn't have within the AWS community. That's been the biggest benefit and why I sort of love it more all the time. I think when I got into it, it was a few things. I, like I, I literally, I just joined a Twitter space. These sort of live audio experiences on Twitter for those that aren't familiar. Uh, I had gotten on one that was about cloud or web technology or something, and in listening to it, I realized like th this is a really cool new medium, and and I like talking to people. So I was having conversations with some of the folks that I had on in the early episodes of the show, like having Zoom calls, just kind of talking. We're both freelancers or whatever. Um, just kind of sharing something in common and getting on calls to talk. And I realized like other people might want to hear that. So I, I thought like, I'll do this live audio show on Twitter space. Uh, and maybe people will, will tune in and listen. And I kind of thought like at that point, oh, I guess I could put it on the podcast platforms. Like I could take the audio and, and put it up there, but that was sort of secondary. And then I think over time, my perspective on that shifted and now it's sort of, I feel like I'm recording a podcast, but I let people listen in to the recording process right. live. Uh, but yeah, early on, it was like, this Twitter space thing is cool. I'm going to make a live audio show and see how it goes. And I just, I sort of jump in when I do something and I do a lot of it and see if I like it. 
Uh, also, AWS.fm was available. Then, like, when a domain name's available, like that's, <laughs> that's well, you might be the first person I know that found a domain name, bought it, and then actually did something with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. there's, a lot, there's a lot of I have a lot of domains in my in my domain graveyard that yeah. uh, are brilliant ideas. I think I just haven't had the time to get to them yet. Yep, I got a lot of And then of you get too. the annual bill, and you're like, I guess yeah. two more years. Yeah, two more years. That's fine. Case. That's fine. Just I'll do case. it. But but uh, speaking but speaking of time, um, so you know, I, I, like I you know, I think we were chatting before, and and you know, Rebecca joined the show, um, you know, back in June, I think, and and we we took a we still took a break to kind of like give ourselves a rest. Uh, you know, again, we had 107 episodes. I was doing one every single week for you know, you know, for 107 weeks. I mean, it was a long time. Plus, producing the newsletter and then like trying to do blog posts and other videos and all this other stuff. And I was a freelancer for quite some time, which gave me some time to like invest in video and and do some of these other yep. things. Um, and then I took a full time job at Serverless last year, and then suddenly it's like, well, now you got a full time job, and I've got two <laughs> daughters, and I've got a wife, and I've got a house to take care of, and we have a dog, yep. and it's like just tr- trying to find time to produce good quality content is is hard. Um, and I'm just curious, like, why are you so crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my wife is also Why have curious. Why you not learned and, from us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we can answer that question on the show and then I could get my wife to listen to it, that would be like two birds, one stone. There we go. Uh, she's never listened to my podcast, so if she listens to yours first, that'll be a little upsetting. But uh, yeah, no, I, like I think I really do sort of have this problem and I'm, I'm trying to sort through this like in real time. Like this is a very active conversation where I can't do anything just sort of semi do it right and it, it affects a lot of areas of life so it's something i'd really like to grow into i'd love to like uh, one step i'm taking is i am going to ease up on the show so it's not going to be three times a week it's going to be oh, ideally one time a week it's just hard to reshuffle and schedule people and uh yeah the, the the thing with like the podcast specifically is once you start making your list of people you'd love to have on a show like that it's just it's such a long list and there's yes. so many people in native community that you just want to you want to interact with and you want to have that experience with and then you start thinking about one a week and it feels like I'd have to do this forever i'm i'm really just kind of a sprinter i guess i don't <laughs> i don't do the long distance thing very well so you've had some really um incredible people on your show as you already talked about right like you Brian LaRue we talked about Ian McKay Ben Kehoe Nader Dabbit you do also have Sean Wang from Temporal uh coming up i believe as a guest and i'm wondering what you're most like a, a couple of things about maybe what has stuck with you the most from guests that you've had and then yeah. what you're looking forward to let's say talking to sean about and like what where you think that conversation might go why you're excited to have him on yeah with so i'll answer the second one first actually with sean and natter it's sort of like life after aws so they're both former aws employees right. and they have sort of a perspective of leaving aws and, and that's kind of my curiosities with both of those two uh, and obviously like I've just, I've followed Sean on Twitter for a long time and I'm just a fan. So I have lots of questions just because they're curiosities of mine. I don't know if, that, if that's a good way to produce content, but, uh, in terms of things that have stuck with me, I think it's been the sort of ongoing debates on the show or not even really debates. Cause it's all been sort of one-sided, but there've been very recurring themes where I have several guests in a row that all hold up an opinion very strongly and they haven't heard the other. They just, they end up talking about it. And there's been some things like, you know, local testing versus testing in the cloud. 
my first like 15 guests, I feel like hammered home that you should just deploy everything to the cloud and test there. <laughs> uh, and, and that's just sort of seems like this consensus. But then I just had Brian Luru on who, who is like Jeremy said, sort of alone, uh, him and local stack sort of holding up the that side of the debate. Like hey, you should that emulate. That was before should... we were recording. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I just clarify on this. No, I think Brian and, and, and again, Brian is great. I've met him a number of times. Uh, I've known him for quite some time now. Um, and, and and what they've done at Architect is, is brilliant. Like, I mean, they've encapsulated all of this stuff yep. so that you can do this local emulation and Within that environment, it works. Uh, it works really, really well. So it's part of Architect and Begin and that whole workflow that they do. Um, it works really, really well. Um, and then Local Stack, I think, has done a brilliant job of saying, like, hey. It's really hard to get all your stuff in the cloud yeah. to test it. So it is easier and faster to do this locally. So again, I think the I think the uh, the consensus is if we could put it in the cloud, then yeah. we should do that. But I think what Brian and his team has done and what the you know what the team over at Local Stack has done is basically said, well, that may be a fantasy yeah. world that we all want to yeah. get to. That's yep. not where we are now. Um, and they've built really, really good solutions to sort of fill that gap. Yep. Yeah, it's I, we. I think having all the options is great. And I think having Brian finally on my show brought a nice balance to right. the conversation because it had gotten so one-sided. Uh, and there's other... I think perspectives like the CDK was not super popular uh, amongst my guests. Uh, I will have Elad on the show eventually to kind of make the case for the CDK. Uh, yeah, it's been interesting. That's that's something that stuck with me, I guess, across the episodes is that uh, there's so many shared opinions. Maybe I'm in a bubble and I'm just picking people that <laughs> support my worldview. But well, uh, no, and I and I think the the funny thing is, and and this is something where you know you mentioned you learn so much from the guests, and that's been the same for me. Like honestly, um, you know, just the idea of like you know how many listeners you might have, how many people are actually interested in tuning in to hear about whatever the the topic of the day is, um, you know, that almost doesn't matter, right? Because it's sort of like you'd be wanting to have these conversations anyways, and 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 yeah. this is something we've we've talked quite a bit about, especially since the pandemic hit. Like I started the podcast. 2019 we were ramping up like we had you know starting to get a lot of listeners and things growing and we're getting sponsors and I'm like ah oh, this is a really cool thing that we can do then the pandemic hits and everybody's a content producer and again awesome like yeah. and the more you know more good content <laughs> there's so many great voices out there I th absolutely th that is is not something where I'm like oh hey stop making content so only I can do it because <laughs> everybody should be making content because you can yep. just share those perspectives but the problem is the downside to that is the fact that if you have so many people producing content, and again, the quality varies. Some of it's really good. Sometimes it's hard to find the needle in the haystack, which is partially what I try to do with Off by None. <laughs> the newsletter is to try to pick the good content and, and try to get that surface so that, that people can see it. And again, this is good content based on my own opinion. So that might be that might be uh, tainted or uh, in part of a bubble as well. Um, but I think you just get so much content that's being produced um, you know, that it is really, really hard to, uh, it is hard to kind of cut through that noise and, and find some of that stuff. And so sometimes I think, you know, our show gets listened to because we have a specific guest on and people are more interested in the yeah. guests than they are in our show. Um, yeah. but then on the other side of the, on the other side of it, I have a lot of people or we have a lot of people that, that listen to the show just because they like the types of conversations we have and so forth. So I think you find, you know, different types of listeners and you get a few here and there, but this is how I feel about it. And I know I'm rambling a little bit, but as somebody who I think you probably feel the same way, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that somebody, you know, that you inspired somebody to get all their certifications or to get their certifications. And that's the thing for me where it's like, 
You know, if we have 5,000, 10,000, whatever people listening to the show, that's awesome. But you know what? If we connect with three or four or five, I had yeah. somebody tell me on Twitter that um, the reason why they were able to convince their team to get into serverless was because of the episodes that I had with Michael Hart uh, talking about the inner workings of Lambda and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that is the kind of stuff where I'm like, I'm going to have these conversations anyway. So if people want to listen yeah. in, right, yeah. and that's going to push them over the edge or inspire them or get them to do something else, like to me, that is just, I, I, that 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 makes it worth it even beyond the fact that I'm learning a ton just from talking to these people. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the same way with me for Twitter. Like I, I kind of feel like sometimes I just would rather not be on Twitter, but you do get those random interactions where somebody right. says like, oh, that thing you said really, you know, it meant something to me. I'm I'm doing this now. And you get those with the podcast, too. It's it sort of makes you feel like you need to keep doing it, uh, even if you don't always feel like doing it. I don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, so the whole content thing, the the sort of hamster wheel that it feels like, even just very early for me, I'm, I've been doing this for like 10 seconds and you guys have been doing this forever. But it's already kind of like I get the psychology of. Yeah, maybe this like long term, maybe it's not for me. Like it, it just feels like there's so much involved. But then the conversations are so great. And I think that's the part where if I'm I feel like I'm talking with people that I want to talk with anyway, I'm having I'm having like 300% more conversations in my week than I would have without doing the podcast. Uh, you know, aside from client conversations. So it's it's feels worth it in that sense, but the whole like getting people to listen to it and market it and do all that stuff, yeah. It's, I don't know, <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a slog. <laughs> well, I want to I put an asterisk on that. You say we've been doing this forever. Um, Jeremy has been doing this forever. He sure. was just yeah. kind enough to invite me along on the ride. Um, <laughs> and I, I quite enjoy it. I'm so glad to be in this seat. Um, I So whether or not content is, you know, short term or, or midterm, but maybe not as long term as what it sounds like, well, I think what you've built in your freelancing career, which might be a bit more long term, you don't have to like, you know, tell me, tell us all your life plan. But um, <laughs> I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about freelancing in terms of the questions or patterns that you see in your work most often. And I imagine that a lot of people listening might might be thinking about, um, you know, is it time for me to make the jump? Is it time for me to start my own thing? Could I be a freelancer? What might I think about in terms of like, you know, lifestyle choice or what that means for me? Yeah. Or now there's not, you know, every two weeks, there's a check. Now I have to make sure that I like, you know, ask for my own checks yeah, and yeah. <laughs> all those sorts of things, but also finding the right clients, right? Like, how do you find the right clients that you actually do want to freelance work with? So I just asked you a lot of questions about freelancing, but I'm wondering if someone is thinking about making that, that leap, what are some of the yep. considerations they might want to ask and how might they find the right clients that they should, that would, that would complement what they want to do and the skills that they have? Yeah. So that is the number one question I get when I share anything about my freelancing, like on Twitter, people all want to know, like, how do you find clients? And I think for me, th there's a very clear answer now for a few segments of people. If you live in the US, the UK or France, there's something called AWS IQ. It's a seldom heard of AWS service that's sort of a marketplace. It's like Upwork, if you're familiar with freelance marketplaces that are more technology agnostic, I guess. Uh, it's, it's sort of an AWS centric marketplace for people who are AWS customers, they need help doing something in their account, building something, uh, they can engage with these AWS experts on IQ and to be an expert, you have to live in one of those three countries today. Hopefully that changes and they continue to expand internationally, but you have to hold a single AWS certification. And if you hold a, an AWS certification, you can register to be an expert 
And you basically go in there and you kind of try to connect with these customers that are reaching out for help. That's been, for me, starting out in April, I was able to hit the ground running really fast. Um, and having all of the certifications sort of has an outsized impact in mm. w- within that community. They, they just feature them very prominently on your profile. And whenever you bid for like working with somebody, they see that very clearly. And I've had customers tell me, you know, I chose you because you had 12 of them and the other guy had three. I don't know. Like <laughs> that's a bigger number. Uh, so that AWS IQ is a very clear path. If you live in those three countries today and you want to do cloud consulting as an independent sort of freelancer, uh, AWS IQ is a great path. Um, obviously that doesn't work for, you know, if you're a web dev and you just want to do web freelancing, then uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I guess Upwork and Fiverr. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you another great way to get uh, AWS customers is probably to start a podcast about yeah. AWS. Yeah. So that is a lot of it for me. Like I had a really busy summer with consulting and doing the freelance work. And then it went well enough that I was sort of like, maybe I'll pump the brakes and do invest in some other things. And content production was one of those, uh, <laughs> Uh, this pandemic, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I got nothing else to do. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna buy a bunch of video equipment. Uh, no, I, I thought like it could be this sort of long-term, I don't know, lead gen and sort of getting in front of more potential AWS customers. I, uh, yeah, that's what I tell myself at least like to keep myself going that this does have a well, long tell tail. There's a reason. You tell your wife yeah, that, that's right? what I tell my wife. It's all about getting more customers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because it's, I don't know, it can be hard to remember at times why I'm doing some of the things I do. Uh, But yeah, it's, I think for freelancing, you know, having that sort of infinite pool of potential customers is just a great head start. And then in terms of like worrying about the day to day, if you live in the US, healthcare is obviously a a major concern. I know a lot of people just don't leave their day job because they can't imagine not having their healthcare provided. Uh, And it is expensive, but there are a lot of options, I guess, now. You know, I've I've done freelancing in the past where it wasn't as easy uh, to get healthcare coverage independently. Uh, but the 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 whole like not having a a paycheck that's reliable every month for me has worked in my favor, I guess. Like the, it's I view it as there's no cap any given month, and the potential right. is kind of incredible at times. Like you feel like you can sort of do the next three months worth of work this month if you feel like it and and want to hunker down. Uh, so I enjoy that variability because it's allowed me to kind of take breaks and then go hard, which is kind of leans more toward my personality, I guess. And do you see, is there a pattern or like a most common type of project that someone will come to you to to work on where you're like, actually, there's, you know, a hundred thousand opportunities to just build this like API for it. Like, yeah. what is, is there like a specific constant ask that there's just not enough um, supply for the demand of it? So I actually published a Google spreadsheet of all of my clients to date this mm. year. I published how much they paid me. I, I I kept the names anonymous, obviously, but I you know how much they paid me and what type of work I did, and that was a good retrospective for me to kind of get a sense for you know what am I doing? What is is there patterns you know in terms of the work I'm taking on? Uh, and it was sort of all over the place. I think the there are a few recurring themes like people that don't have CI/CD and they want to sort of implement. CI/CD pipelines in AWS, or I've had infrastructure as code where you know they didn't start out that way and they want to move in to that, which is is tough. Um, then there's like security best practices and setting up accounts to you know monitor security posture. 
Um, that, that, that's some things I've done more than once, but it's a lot of different things. I think I've had 16 clients this year so far, and it's kind of been all over the place. The, the things that are hard to avoid are like, I have a web dev background where, you know, building stuff out full stack, uh, I can't resist sometimes seeing okay. somebody's like, they've got their project they want to build. It's going to be on AWS, so there's that. But it's like full stack and you're building the whole front end. I've gotten into a few of those and those definitely consume a lot of time. So they feel like all I'm doing, but it's because <laughs> those few projects take so much so much care. I'm just not very good at front end work, I guess. So it takes well, me a long time. The other thing too is that it's probably good to have some variety in the things that you're doing on the back end so you don't get uh, terribly bored, like I did when I ran yeah. a web development company and built forms for people for 12 years, it seemed like, and it just was <laughs> wanted me to tear my ass out. So listen, we're yeah. running out of time. Um, and I was going to make a joke about how, oh, I should have hit record, but I did. Um, <laughs> but anyways, because I can imagine as done. a podcast, you probably have <laughs> yeah. worried about that yourself. Oh, yeah. I know I have. I know we've had, we've lost <laughs> episodes before because like it didn't upload right. And yet, so anyways, yeah. there's more to making content than I think people think. Uh, <laughs> there's a, you know, especially the, the, the downsides of it. But anyways, Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, what you're doing with AWS FM, um, Adam's web show, um, just to be clear, um, <laughs> is uh, it's it's great. And I mean, and the and the guests are awesome and so forth. Um, it's interesting to hear you saying you've got to tone it back a little bit because I'm like, I don't even have enough time to listen to this show. Let alone like, you know, three Jerry's hours of content that you, I don't even know. I, I hope these come out okay. I don't know. I never listen. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but, I, um, but no, I really appreciate what you're doing. And again, just the other thing is just giving people and, and these experts just the forum to speak um, and getting those ideas out there. Um, and I, uh, I'm glad somebody else uh, works with that dilemma where like you hear a bunch of smart people tell you one thing and then a bunch of smart people tell you the exact opposite thing. Yeah. And then your brain can't figure out which one to choose. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a, a common thing for me as well. So you're you're not alone there. Yeah, I'm not smart enough for most of the people that come on the show. It's it's a uh, but thank you so much for having me on. I, it has been great just to talk with other people that have done this and been sort of downrange. Uh I know we could probably swap a lot of horror stories in my very short amount of time, but it's been so great to be on the other side of the interview, I guess. Uh, thank well, you so much for having me. We are super happy to have you. And if other people wanted to learn where they can find you, what links might you want to tell them? And then we'll go ahead and put those in the show notes too. Yeah. So I think just my Twitter, which is like a sort of phonetic spelling of my name adam it's a-e-d-u-h-m if it's i can like remember like alpha epsilon delta <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and then I, i've got a website <laughs> yeah. that's adam.dev uh it's mostly like uh, just a single page here's how you can reach me uh, but if you don't remember how to spell my twitter handle that's one way <laughs> and then of course um aws.fm to check out the show and uh already tons of great episodes lots of great guests coming up so uh thanks again adam this was awesome yeah thanks guys And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Adam Elmore for being our guest this week and to our sponsor, Dexecure. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 120. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter, at Becca Odele, and me, at Jeremy underscore Daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. 
Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.